Welcome to B2B Weekly. Every Wednesday, Marty Sanchez and I, Nemanja Živković, will be your host in a weekly Q&A where we talk all B2B related things. From sales, demand generation, social media, personal branding, lead generation, we focus on real examples, on real case studies, and we share things we only share with our team. So you get to see the way we grow our companies, the way we do marketing for our clients, you get to see everything. And not only that, you get a chance to jump on the call with us, ask questions live and share your perspective on the topic. If you are an executive, marketeer or salesperson, this is for you. Welcome to the B2B Weekly. The last one who arrives in the company to being the first GM ever at the company. We were like 15 people at the time. And uh, from there, I went to, uh, I moved to Novi Sad when I was, uh, the idea was to get, uh, to, to get better at performance marketing and learn those things. So I specialized in marketing automation, lead generation, um, website personalization. We were doing some things that not people on this market are still not doing. Uh, and then it was about time that I start something on my own. So like, since October, I'm building like funky marketing. Uh, basically, I don't like to say an agency, but more of a, of a team that's focused on um, generating f- consistent revenue for the companies with, uh, with mostly inbound uh, strategies and helping them uh, grow and scale in the way that, that they should. So that's, that's basically that. I mean, I've, I've worked with uh, so many industries and companies, I think more than more than hundred of them. And yeah, uh, I'm excited for this and happy to share everything that I learned along the way. Uh, thank you, Nemanja. So to give quick context about me, I, I don't want to talk too long, but um, I'm a dual citizen of Spain and the United States. I was born in the United States, but I was raised in Barcelona in Spain, where I'm right now with my family. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I know times are a bit weird, but uh, I appreciate you guys joining us. Then when I was 17, I moved to, to the United States again to play college basketball. I played four years in university over there, uh, and I got my undergrad and my master's. And I started working in finance in, in Charlotte, North Carolina for a big bank, and I hated it. And a month later, I quit. I, all I knew how to do was write. When I was in college, because of NCAA rules, I couldn't work too much. So what I would do is like write college papers for my classmates uh, for extra money, which was super illegal, but I had to make a bit of money somehow. Uh, So I I knew that I could write. And and what I decided to do was move back to Spain where uh, costs are cheaper, Uh, move back into my mom's apartment, live in a room and write all day. And, and that's what I did. I wrote on Quora three to four answers every day for six months. In the first six months, I had over a couple million views. And I wrote about everything that I was doing wrong in my life and business, right? I, I didn't know anything. And all I could write was my failures. And that's what I was doing. Those six million views um, helped me get approached by some companies and some um, CEOs to ghostwrite for them as a freelance ghostwriter. And that's how I started as a, as a freelance writer. And, and what that experience taught me was the power of personal branding first, because of, I built somehow of a personal branding in Quora. And it taught me that two inbound leads were really important because I hated selling and I was horrible at it. So I'm a terrible salesperson. I tried to be, you know, the Jordan Belfort of the world, the Wolf of Wall Street, but that's not me. So I need people to come to me. Uh, in order if we want to work together and from there i started working with a lot of ceos to grow their personal brands trying to help them achieve what i did and it turned into an agency where we now do uh, ghostwriting for b2b ceos mostly in the united states we do uh, linkedin content twitter content uh, we help them start a podcast um, and we also help them write for articles for forbes entrepreneur magazine in magazine all that stuff 
so I specialize on B2B content marketing and personal branding. And I think that's what connects us, right, Nemanja? We operate in similar industries. We kind of have clients all over the world. And, and I think we do things a little bit different than, than what we see often others do. And we just like to share what we are doing, right? We, we're, not a, we're not preachers. We don't give advice that we don't do ourselves. So we try to walk the talk and, and show just what we're doing. And if you guys like it, you can take it and run with it. And if you don't like it, uh, that's 100% fine. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically that's, that's it. And uh, I will just go from there to, uh, to introduce the, everybody to the, to the topics. Uh, just wanted to say hi to Bratislava, Alexandra, Ned, Milena, Oliveira, Dusko. We already say hi to Philip and Joel. Thanks for joining us, guys. So uh, today we wanted to get into, into the B2B Weekly by talking about the current state of the, of the B2B industry. Uh, we can do like pre, pre-corona and post-corona situations, but I think right now we are in better state than it was uh, before Corona when it comes to doing good things. And uh, basically how it was before, uh, uh, before like a, a month or two, two ago. So uh, it was sales before marketing. Uh, definitely everywhere. I mean, sales people are the, the stars of the company still. Um, everybody's doing outbound compared to inbound and some other things. Um, the alternative is usually uh, SEO. Uh, we mostly have self-supported like systems when everybody's dependent on, on sales. Uh, we have small numbers of, uh, of company trying to do demand generation, but uh, not many of them are having uh, great results with it. Um, we are having so many companies without uh, product market fit uh, too much of a budget goes to goes to to sales compared to marketing and one other thing that I'm uh, that I was seeing is that uh, people have uh, this opinion uh, that great advertising takes huge budgets so basically uh, this is where I would like to 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 start and to go deeper into the topics uh, about what's the current state and how we can work to, to change some things out. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, that's a good intro. If you guys um, watching have any questions, just uh, unmute yourself and please ask anything that you guys have. But uh, to talk about like the, the change, right, that, that I think Corona has brought to B2B is now we're seeing a lot more posts on LinkedIn, a lot more content talking about being empathetic, right? And and we see a lot about uh, now you have to be em- you have to have empathy, and now you have to care about your buyers, and now you have to understand their sales process, and adapt your business to them because they're important. And my question is like, why now, right? What were you doing before that now you ha- need empathy? Like it, it's what you were saying, Nemanja. I think we've had a bad behaviors for B two B as sales pers- salespeople as marketers. And coming from the executive people of we're just going to have a very transactional mindset towards acquiring new buyers. And what that means is a lot of outbound, a lot of automation, not building relationships, not personalizing anything. And we see that now that things have shaken up a little bit, that doesn't work. And honestly, it wasn't working before either because it it might work short term, but it's not going to work to build a sustainable company because outbound eventually plateaus. And you have to create new demand. And the way you do that is not by sending more emails or not by sending more cold LinkedIn outreach messages. It's about actually creating content and distributing it right so that people that are consuming, you actually give them value. I, I, I don't know if you've seen that in as well, that it's like, okay, so before you were just not caring about your buyers or, and now you do? Like, how did you expect to build a successful company by using the old practices? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a, and I would like to extend on, on what you said with um, just using uh, like this uh, pandemia and uh, crisis to, uh, to pretend that you care is not actually caring about, about your customers. Uh, your CEO just writing a statement is not a sign that you are actually caring about your customers. It's talking uh, with them, not to them, and seeing how they are feeling, how you can help them solve their problems, that you are here for them. And uh, I didn't see that many companies actually actually do that. Uh, they're basically, oh, I want to use the example of why did I leave performance marketing? Uh, just based on, on what you said without uh, looking at the, the empathy at those things and Performance marketing also has a plateau. It works uh, upon some moment, and then you need to rely on uh, on the brand, on your content, on that uh, content machine that you have built. But if you didn't, I mean, you are left with nothing. You can just go and try to do to get more leads with some. I don't know. Usually, people are using those simple. Um, Lead, gener uh, lead generation tactics like one page uh, PDF and similar things, uh, webinars, but like one page PDF won't get you anything. I mean, I, I like to compare it to, uh, to the one I stand. You know, when you, you meet a, a girl, let's say on Tinder or wherever, and you get into the conversation, you both like each other, you, you go out, you drink, and you end up together. And when you wake up tomorrow, what do you see? What's the feeling? Is it the same as the last night? And it's the same if, if you are doing lead generation just for the sake of getting leads because your uh, lead magnets are not uh, something that brings value to the, to the person. I mean, you, you don't know what you will end up waking up tomorrow. What will, uh, what will you receive in your email? You know, and, and it's always that kind of uh, conversation, conversation with that. And it shows how much do you care about the person because that person actually sign up to receive something from you, a document or whatever, and you just gave them like five sentences about a certain topic. Right. And that's it. I think the problem from that comes from what KPIs do we set, right? I think uh, something that's really clear to me is that whatever you optimize for is what you get. So whatever the KPIs that you set, that's going to dictate different behaviors. And I think a lot of people in, in B2B, uh, and if you guys want to share your, your examples from your companies as well, of what KPIs you set, please do. But like if we think number of leads is the most important metric. What we're going to do is try to get as many leads as we can and not care about the quality of those leads. Which, and when you get so, when the key is to get volume of leads, then you need volume of salespeople to follow up and go after those leads. So you're also scaling by throwing salespeople in there instead of making sure you get the marketers who will help you increase the quality of your leads, which means you need less salespeople. They're, they're happier because you're providing them and feeding them with leads that are ready to buy and that are coming inbound versus them having to send a thousand emails to people that don't care about. So I think the, the metrics that we set here as, as B2B companies is what defines uh, what behaviors do we take on. Um, and, and Joel and I, who's here on the call, we were talking about the other day about the metrics that we set for my personal brand, right? And my, our content strategy, my personal brand, is the only marketing strategy that we have. Uh, we don't send cold emails, we don't sell LinkedIn pitches, all we do is my personal brand. And we were talking about the, the key metrics, right? And the metric number one was inbound revenue. Like, and that's the most important metric that we can have because likes, comments, leads, all that doesn't pay rent. All that doesn't make payroll. All that 
I can pay my landlord with actual money. So I, that's what we optimize for. And that's the only thing that we care about. If we generate three leads, but all three leads close, then we're good with that. It, it's not about the number of leads that we generate. It's about how many of them actually give us money. What do you think about that, Emmanuel? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, we agree on, on everything that you said. I mean, we're not optimizing on uh, the only strategy is not like my personal brand, but it's the experimentation field that I'm using to see what's working, what doesn't. Uh, I'm trying different things so I can see what can I implement for, for my clients. And this is uh, the benefit to, of using LinkedIn today, where you can actually uh, try different things and you're not coming to your client as somebody who is just proposing something that, I don't know, I have heard uh, or I have read an article somewhere that, that is working. Um, no, I'm coming as somebody who have Im has implemented certain things uh, on my own brand or my own company, possibly with, with the other clients, and I'm talking from experience. And uh, when it comes to, to KPIs, um, I never was, uh, I'm also focused on inbound revenue, but I never was focused on, uh, on like getting, uh, getting clients. I was focused on getting value to the right people. And when I do that, they are coming on their own. I mean, all of the, all of my current clients are, uh, those are all mid-sized to, to huge companies, uh, are, uh, came to me using, uh, my own words. Suggesting things that I'm that I'm writing on LinkedIn, so it's kind of happening. Like the the last week, I was talking with a with a with a guy from also one of the big pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he came to me with with certain set of questions. You know, it was just uh, introduction call, but he came with a certain set of questions where he asked me, "Okay, so you wrote that you have an open rate of emails of." 85%. Is that true? How did you get there? You wrote that you did this, 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 these things connected to employer branding. To is it? Is it true? How did you get there? Right. You know, so uh, people are actually uh, listening and uh, hearing what, what we are saying. And if you're saying the right thing to the right people, they are coming uh, to work with you. Right. That, that's something that I would recommend. Uh, I, I don't know if people here are more salespeople or, or marketers, but, uh, or both, I think there's going to be a more, that's maybe a topic for another day. Um, but, but it's what we're saying about being able to walk the talk and show that you're doing what you're telling your clients to do. That makes everything so much easier. Right. And I think as marketers, we often forget that. Like we do things and salespeople as well. We do things that, we to our buyers or to our prospects that we would never do for ourselves and that we would not enjoy. I once wrote an article called sell like you would like to be sold. Right. And it's about doing the things that you would like to be done to during your sales process, during your marketing strategies. Right. nobody likes to get 10 emails from cold people, follow up, follow up Monday through Thursday. But why do we do that then? Why the second that we get in the office, we forget about what we enjoy and we do the, th the things that we hate to our buyers. If we don't like it, why do we think our buyers are going to like it? And if we would not buy from it, why do we think our buyers would buy from it? So at the end of the day, it's like, see what you do for yourself, see what you like and try to help your company do more of that. Right? It, it's as simple as do, doing less things that people hate. And, and when it comes to like doing your being able to walk the talk, that's also the best marketing strategy, right? Because for example, when people come to us, they have seen like with you, right? A LinkedIn post, a tweet, they have my, listened to one of my podcasts and then they're like, but does it work? And I'm answer, if it didn't work, you would not be here because we found each other through a LinkedIn post that I wrote and I created content on for my personal brand. So it makes selling so much easier because you can prove it to them that their actual proof that what you're doing in marketing is working. And, if, and that's a decision that we were making with, with Joel, who's here um, last weekend. We were thinking, should we add 
outreach to our strategy or should we double down on the personal brand which is the services that we offer as well and we said if we're going to fail i'd rather fail doing something that feels right in my heart and i'd rather fail doubling down on something that i believe in and i think at the end of the day that's the most important part right like does it feel good to you when you're sending a cadence that's automated and you're just blasting people and spamming them if it doesn't then you should probably not be doing that yeah true i mean if you're going on a volume as you said you need to go as general as possible because you are reaching so many people and therefore you cannot get personal and people will feel that right and it's what we say about i was talking to a ceo the other day and they were, he was telling me how his outbound strategy was working like crazy like super good and i was like okay how many are you converting and he was like between one and 1.5 percent and i was like it's crazy to me how we consider that a success and i know it's a good number like i get it but you are alienating 99 percent of your market you're giving a bad experience to 99 percent of the people that would like to buy from you if not now maybe in six months but now they want because you have spammed them over email for two weeks just to convert one client. And I get that that one client is worth a lot of money, but is it really worth alienating the vast, vast majority of your market? I don't know. Um, yeah. And uh, I was, uh, there's a question from Lior. What was your best email opener? Yeah, tell us more about that. Tell us about how you're, how you're getting your high open rates and yeah, what uh, type of mean, are you working? Yeah, I mean, that thing that I shared, like 85% was, uh, was crazy. I mean, uh, it's, it's definitely not something that is persistent and that can be real. I mean, it was real. And I still got uh, huge open rates, like more than more than 45% uh, open rates on, on each mail because I'm not sending emails to the people just to, to send them, uh, just to sell them something or those kind of things. I'm usually sending them useful um, recordings, useful educational videos like these things, or I'm just writing an email out, busting my soul out of from the on the in the document and just telling them something that are, are, are on my mind. I'm, I'm writing as I, as I'm speaking. So, uh, good morning. It's six uh, eleven a.m. It's a morning like I can hear the rooster, and it's time for me to write you an email. And it's short and informative, and I'm just saying uh, directly what I want to say, and that's it. I'm not just uh, writing for the sake of writing, not guiding them through the story. I think those long emails work sometimes. Uh, I cannot say that they don't work, but um, today for the most part of the people, it's just uh, short email, uh, interesting, entertaining sometimes. And, and that's it. That's the thing that work. Give people value in an email. Uh, the good strategy is also writing emails like you're writing on, on LinkedIn. Right. That's also one of the things. And when it comes to the, to the copywriting and to, if we get more into that part, I think we often do things a little bit, uh, different when we write uh, from our laptop or from our desktop. It's totally different than uh, how we write if we are writing an SMS or in Messenger or we're chatting with somebody. And this is the thing that we need to, to change because we need to get more natural. We need to, uh, to get more personal. And how do we do that? By writing as we, as we speak. I mean, on Messenger, you won't write, we are. You will write, we're. Right. You're not going to write, going to, you're going to write, going to. So it's those little things, and, and you, can, you can see it feels more, uh, more natural. Also, one of the things that's working is uh, using videos, like Loom or Drift, uh, not only in the email, but also now we can use them in uh, in direct messages on LinkedIn. Yeah. 
So Drift has a direct integration and they're great. I mean, when I'm sending like offer or trying to, to get the personal message, I'm recording myself and just put the video in the, in the email. Yeah, I've done that as well. And that actually kind of relates to the question that Joel just asked about how to personalize cold emails to connect with the CEOs. Uh, but just to finish that point on like what's the best email opener, I think if it's an email list, it depends if it's a cold email, but if it's an email list, yeah, we've found for our clients that the subject line can change things, but it's not going to change dramatically. So it can change the open rate a little bit, but it's not going to like be the determinant factor. The most determinant factor is the relationship you have with your audience and what they're expecting to hear from you, not just on that email, but also on social media platforms. Um, so the more that you can have a solid audience where they expect that every time you hit them with content, it's positive and valuable, then the, the open rate will always go high, no matter what the subject line. So the subject line might change three, four, five percent, but the relationship and the feeling that the audience has with you is what really marks if it's a 20, 25 or 45 percent. And I think that's what you do so well, because people that join your email list have consumed so much of your content before that they know, um, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they basically, good things. basically, it works like like any post is working. Like, first, you need people to uh, actually open the email. So, if the subject is good, they will open it. Then there's a header. If header is good, they will look at the at the body. If the body is good, they will look at the CTA. All of those uh, parts has only one goal, and this is to get to the next one. Yeah, uh, we have another question about: Do you use a proofreader? And you find it helpful. Um, to me, personally, so English is my third language as well. Um, I use a proofreader often, but I have also found that spelling mistakes are not that big of a deal. And, and that, like, I write with B2B CEOs that run multi-million dollar companies every single day, multiple times a day. And they spell horrible. Like they don't know how to write. And I spent 10 years trying to learn how to write in English and they don't put periods. They don't put commas. Like they spell like shit. Um, so I'd say if you are a foreigner, your English is not your native language. Like don't really give a fuck about if it's perfect. If it's good enough, it will, it will be good enough. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's, that's my experience. Yeah, I'm using Grammarly just, it's always on, but I don't pay attention that much to it. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's just, uh, that's yeah. just that. So going back to the, the other question that we have, uh, how to personalize cold emails? Uh, one strategy I also use like you is um, using video, right? We've tried, we've done drift video a lot. They have a free plan. Are you are you sending cold emails? You do. I send cold emails or messages to invite people to podcast, but not to work together. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I haven't sent any cold emails to like. I have. I might do it one day. I'm not saying I won't, but um, I, I'm doubling down content. And I send emails in. I'd love to to have you on the podcast, and I found Drift Video, which they have a free plan that's really useful. And also, I think here the key part is to do your research, right? Uh, what I do, a cold email can take an hour easily. Uh, and 50 minutes of that is preparation. It might be five minutes of writing, but 55 minutes of research. And what I do is try to find uh, a trigger, a connection between me and the other person that we can connect at a personal level, right? So if I found that they love basketball, I might write a joke about basketball. If I found that they love Game of Thrones, then I, I made a story about Game of Thrones. Um, like something that connects personally and that shows that, that email, if that email can be sent to 10 people, it's not a good email. It's not a good cold email. It has to be so clear that it's for them specifically and personalized to them. Uh, and then let your humor shine. I think humor is a big piece of, not just humor, but your personality. So let, don't be afraid to make jokes with people that you don't know. If they don't like it, what are they going to do? Block you? Okay, whatever. There's a thousand more. 
but to stay true to yourself that, that's what i found for um yeah, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can extend to that because uh, in the past years when I was working in a, in a previous company, um, we were organizing the, the first, um, first online event uh, dedicated to marketing automation called mm -hmm. LeadCon, where we hosted, uh, I don't know, some big names like the Mikhail Diaz, CEO of Analytics, like uh, mm -hmm. CEO of ManyChat, uh, all the other people who are famous, let's say, in our in our industry. Yeah. Uh, and what I found interesting is that people try to pitch those people with, uh, like, you're going to grow your company, you're going to get into this market, uh, those kind of things. And... Uh, basically, it's the the thing that um, what you said. You don't try to pitch or to sell the people with what won't work on you. I mean, you just have to think for a second and how will a half an hour or forty-five minutes of my lecture or a talk really get me into into that market? It won't. But if you if you do a pitch as we will have like 50 people who are interested in that and that specific industry and knows about you and want to learn from you to hear from you and you can come and talk for uh, half an hour 45 minutes an hour about you about your company what do you do every ceo will go for that yeah absolutely i i just think uh, you, you're 100% right on that. We have another question about uh, what tools do we use for um, building a newsletter? Okay, so to send a newsletter, we, sorry, for sending emails, we do ConvertKit, which has a free plan until a certain number of users. And that's about it. Like just ConvertKit for us. Uh, do, yeah. do you have something else? I'm using uh, GetRespond also at the moment. And before I was using uh, Drift, MailChimp, Sending Blue. I'm also using for a client. So I've, I mean, I, I worked in marketing automation, so I've tried all of, all of those things. I mean, Drift is now uh, more turned to, to e-commerce industry. So they are for basically for the bigger campaigns, companies, and, and email lists. And uh, I just remember an example that I wanted to share with, uh, with you guys. It's the small little campaign that we did for a language school, but it's how people are reacting to the emails. You know, because still there's a misunderstanding uh, that people uh, aren't reading emails. And... Uh, so we did uh, a little ebook, actually a workbook of uh, German language. Like, I don't know, uh, some um, uh, articles in German language, something like that. And it was three parts of the, of the workbooks. So basically they, they sign up to, to get the lead magnet and they get the, the workbook and then they got like five emails when we go deeper into each part of the workbook and really help them fill them out and, and learn, learn certain things. And accidentally, uh, I uh, turned off the third email. So they were getting four, but not the, the, the middle one. And uh, I mean, like two days after I did that, we uh, received six or seven messages on the client's Facebook. Uh, people were asking, giving them five-star reviews because that was at the end and saying, it's really great, but just send us that third email because we really want to learn that one thing that's missing from the, from the whole uh, package. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's that's where we saw that if we are really giving value to the people, they respect it and they are willing to go and give you a review. But you know, just give me that that one email that I didn't receive. Yeah, we, we ran a similar campaign for a client um, where we 
share the five main lessons that he learned on the first year building an agency. And uh, we have five days, five emails on five days. And, and we found that if you really send really good emails, people are going to love emails. So like for, for people that say email is that uh, it, it's probably that you're not sending good emails, to be honest. Um, here, Barislav, yeah. you said you use Lamblist and, and yes, where I've, I've been thinking about using Lamblist. Lamblist yeah, I heard also some good things about them, especially for the outbound. Also, some guys from Serbia are working with them, so I'm familiar with what they do. Yeah, I think the founder is French. Um, yeah. And he looks like, a, I haven't talked to him personally, but he looks like he knows what he's doing. And then the email verifiers, I, I forgot about that, but... Uh, Sometimes for sending yeah. emails, we do use it as well. But they, like, they also like have that uh, that that other product, uh, which is uh, like those automated uh, comments on LinkedIn that you are seeing. They are also doing that part. Yes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think you have to be careful with tools, right? Because tools are, are really attractive. They're really sexy. But at one point, hey, Eddie, how's it going? Uh, at one point, too many tools are going to make your process harder. So whether you're sending emails, whether you're doing an outreach campaign or doing content marketing, it really doesn't matter. Um, th there's going to be a, a point in time where more tools are not the solution. And, and reducing the number of tools is going to help you and, and make that process the more simple. And, and at the end of the day, the simpler, the better, right? Um, so I, I always try to minimize the number of tools that, that we use for anything. Uh, internally, we just added process street to to our to the tools that we use for our processes as well, and, and that's helpful. But most of the things that we try to do is is no tools or or the less tools the better. What about you, Nemanja? What what are you guys doing? Uh, sorry, can you repeat? I was just checking if Lear is here, so we can uh, answer his questions. And I oh. I missed the the the. No, no worries. What was his question? Let, let let's answer it. Yeah, uh, I wanted to uh, to ask him directly, but uh, anyway, I can I can read it. So, um, where do you really should invest your time more, LinkedIn or Facebook or Google, and what's the different cost of each and the trade-offs? Okay, that that's an interesting question. I think first of all, there's no one answer that's going to help you. It depends on what business you're running. It depends on where your target audience is. Uh, the first step is always to reverse engineer where your audience hangs out online and then go there, right? I, I think that's the number one uh, step for all content marketing or paid ad strategy. And if your audience are CEOs in B2B, there's a high, very high likelihood that you have to go to LinkedIn. If your audience is uh, people over 60, who then you might have to go to Facebook. Like it, it really, each uh, social media platform has a personality and has a target audience. So the first step I'd say always is reverse engineer, uh, go deep in your research of where your target, target audience hangs out online and go there. And then the second thing, it also depends on when you, whether you're doing content or paid ads, right? If you're doing content, Facebook might not be the place for you because the organic reach is so low. Uh, but if you're doing paid ads, Facebook is the right place to go in, in most cases because it's the one with probably the cheapest um, cost per mile and et cetera. Uh, so those are the two things that I would say first uh, reverse engineer where your audience hangs out and to understand what's the goal of the strategy is to create content is to uh, scale through paid advertising and then decide what platform. Yeah, I agree about the reverse engineering, but uh, there's a thing that I, that I have seen and it is that uh, people are everywhere. They are just behaving differently on each platform because right. you are somebody else on LinkedIn and you want to be approached differently or somebody else on Facebook, you want to be approached differently and on LinkedIn, you're also somebody else. The only exceptions may, may be the, the CEOs and the C-level uh, executives. They are on LinkedIn. I mean, you can target them on Facebook, but it all depends on the, on the market and those kind of things. But everybody else, they're spending time everywhere. I mean, I'm talking about the C-level executive because they don't usually don't have much time. Right. And if they, they have time, 
they will use that time possibly on LinkedIn to meet somebody who is from the business world. Right. And, but I think you can also target them on Facebook. I am doing that and I have done it, uh, just not by interest, by, uh, but by, by function and position in the company. Right. I, I think it's also important to consider two other things, right? Uh, yes, they're everywhere, but in what mindset do you reach them at? So like they have to be in a mindset when they're on LinkedIn, they're on work mindset. So I think they're more open to work ideas, right? If you reach a CEO on Instagram, it, it's not the same mindset that it's, you're, you're not hitting them on the right context, I believe. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is like, which platform is easy to, to reach them at and to target them specifically, right? I think LinkedIn, for example, you're able to connect with people who are ex your target audience exactly. And, and you can go really deep on that versus it's much harder to reach them at le that level of specificity on Instagram, Facebook, all these other platforms. Uh, but each platform has a different role, right? Google PPC can be a great tool to capture intent. So people who are already looking uh, for that solution, you can capture them and then retarget them on YouTube. While other platforms are better suited to build your brand. So I think it's important to know which intent you're trying to achieve. What's your goal here on this exact campaign before you choose the platform? That's what I see, right? A lot of people choosing platforms before deciding on a strategy or the goals of the campaign. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we need to separate uh, how those platforms are working. I mean, Facebook is a push platform where we push the information towards people. And Google is the pull platform where people are coming to pull the information. So the, the intent, what you said, is, is totally different. And the, the state of, of mind in which we are uh, catching people is also, is also different. I mean, uh, what I have seen working is that people have a limit of like three minutes uh, to, to read your... Uh, case study, your article, to watch your video, whatever. Like three minutes is, is the time that uh, you have to tell them something specific, something important that they will interact with. So basically what do I do and what do I suggest people to do is to, uh, if you are already going on, uh, on ads like Facebook, Instagram, go with some specific articles, videos, or case studies, but consumable. Those that people can consume fast, they can just spend uh, like 50 minutes on, on Facebook or on Instagram, and they will see your ad because ads are working in the way that they will present uh, the content to the right people at the time when they are most likely to consume it. And if it's like, uh, something that you have like uh, pain points, information solution, basically that's it. That's all that you need for somebody to, to see. Right. But I think that goes back to what we were talking about empathy, right? That's what really uh, tactical empathy is about. It's when you run the ads, do you think they're going to consume a white paper that's 25 pages with no pictures and no videos and it's boring as fuck? Like, they want they're scrolling facebook to see pictures of their mother right like they're not in the mindset of reading a huge white paper but if you present them an article that's two minutes three minutes that's optimized for mobile then it's a different experience and and that's what it, we were talking about at the beginning about like being empathetic as marketers that that's what it really means right like understanding it what the consumer of your ad or your content is looking for or needs at that specific point in time and then giving that to them. Would you like them to read a white paper that's 40 pages? For sure. But that's what you would like as the marketer, not what they would like as the buyer. And we need to do what they like because it's about them, um, especially in B2B, right? Yeah. When we're doing direct to consumer, then it's a different experience. You might, if you're selling t-shirts, then it's a transactional mindset right? It, it, you, you can buy an impulsive t-shirt that's 20 bucks, but nobody buys impulsively a $5,000 a month retainer. Um, so that, that's when I think B2B marketers and salespeople need to, need to adjust to that.
um, and the last thought I had on choosing the platforms, especially when you're doing ads, is like understanding that not all platforms are going to fit for you, right? If, if you do LinkedIn, you probably need a LinkedIn ads, you probably need a bigger budget to, to play in that space. And if you need a bigger budget, then you probably need a higher LTV of your clients. So if you're, the LTV of your client is $2,000, there's a high likelihood that LinkedIn is not going to work for you in terms of paid ads. Uh, you yes. might have to do content or you might have to do paid ads somewhere else. Uh, but if you have a LTV of 10,000 plus, then you're in a much better position to utilize LinkedIn, despite their higher cost per miles and all that. Um, so that, that's my last thought on, on choosing platforms. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Nemanja. Yeah, I would, I would just agree. Um, guys, if you have any questions, be free to, to drop them in, in the chat. Uh, we had another question from Davor. He said he'll uh, come up, but he's not here. So anyway, I'm going to answer it. He, he said, like, uh, let me just read the, the question. Um, I've been working uh, in an industry for a while, uh, four plus years in the, in the IT startups. Uh, I've been through uh, most of the roles, uh, but uh, I've been attracting with, uh, with one lately and it is the COO. So his question is, how do you uh, get to the COO role? So uh, I can answer that because I worked in that position. It might because be a little I have bit, no idea. So yeah, it, it so might be a little bit different because uh, I worked in that role basically uh, as a GM also. Uh, basically, it was COO role. But uh, anyway, how do I get there by showing that uh, that I can do those things? by an example i had the luck that uh, very early in my career um i was uh, uh let's say promoted to be to be a gm but how did it happen like i've been organizing all the other guys in the company who will do what i became a, a team leader then i became a gm and when i became a gm like the owners gave me the full um, freedom and responsibility uh, and before that before that role I was uh, I was writing things that aren't good in the company and going with uh, to them with that list and they say okay go ahead and implement it and they I didn't hear from them for like two weeks or a month mm -hmm. and I had a pressure from the team I didn't we didn't have any processes so I went out and create all of them from the scratch so how each team is going to work, how are the processes of uh, each position in the company, uh, how are we reporting, what are we measuring, how are we doing sales, how are we doing reporting calls, everything. And I'm grateful for them uh, forever for doing that. I mean, you probably know the, I have seen you're interacting with Marko Dinic in your post. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was one of the owners in gotcha. the in the company and uh what was uh interesting that uh i was sharing everything i mean if you go to my medium you can see how the did the process went and how did i share those things and uh basically i got a call from another company and he said would you come here to be director of operation basically to do what you did over there and to go more into the marketing automation, website personalization and those kind of things. And this is how I got the call to continue doing, doing those things. But uh, basically doing the, doing the work and showing the results and, uh, and the struggle through the process. Right, but I think that's how you get any roles, right? Especially right now. Exactly. Um, like being proactive and, and doing more than what you've been asked to do. And if you can share that on public, right? I think we've seen because of the, of the virus, a lot of people getting laid off, um, which is really sad and sucks. Um, so we, I've, found, I've seen a lot of people like reach out to me and seeing how they can get jobs as well. And personally, I think is you get jobs the same way you get clients, 
right? Like you, you have to build a personal brand. You have to add value. You have to have an outreach strategy and you have to understand what they want, right? Um, so I, I always compare both things. It, it's both going after something and reaching out basically to the same people, right? So when, uh, when what you were doing, right? Being proactive, adding value, documenting that in public and creating content that helps you build us a personal brand, then um, somebody else approaches you, right? Building a personal brand is not just for the CEO. Um, obviously the CEO is the leader of the company is probably the, the face client, the most client facing person in, in the organization, but each individual in within the company can have a personal brand and can create content. And, and that helps both the company and themselves, right? Like they're getting better. They're connecting with people. They're building their network that that can also generate inbound leads for the company. Um, but whether you're still working or whether you're unemployed this time, uh, whether you're a CEO, I think creating content, building a personal brand is super important. And, and there's only upside of it. Like there, there's no downside of creating content. Like um, just just wanted to or to set something interesting. Um, when you said like sharing, learning what things you should share, what are the things that you shouldn't share? Well, I had to go through it and learning the hard way. You know, uh, sometimes I will I just sharing things that I consider that are okay, but it wasn't okay for the for the CEO, for right. the company that I work, you know, and uh, I've been through the whole thing. I mean, doing the things that I'm not supposed to do, but feeling that those things are, are right. Those are the right things to be done. And because of that, I've been through all kinds of things. Like my, uh, my salary was cut off and all kind of, I mean, I was the second man in the company, mm -hmm. but I was convinced that I'm doing the right thing and I'm still am. So right. I don't care about, about the money, but that was the right thing to do. And this is how, how I grew and how I learned things. Basically, not just by listening, but, but to, uh, to try out things, listening not to the, to the other people, but listening to, the, to, the, to my inner voice and just seeing how the things are working and interacting with that. Yeah, I had a, a friend on, on LinkedIn who's, who's young, he's 22, 23, uh, who, is, who has been posting content on LinkedIn. He works for a marketing organization. And he was telling me how his CEO hates that he puts out content on LinkedIn, even though it has brought him two clients and he is like employee number 57, right? Um, so one of the things that we were talking is sometimes like it's not the right place to do it. Like I asked him, is it so important for you that you would change jobs for it? And, and he was like, absolutely. And I was like, okay, then you have to figure out how to do it. Right. But if, if creating content, if sharing in public, if what you learn and you want to put out to the world is important to you, then you have to deal with the consequences, especially if you're not the CEO, right? If you're the employee, uh, you have to deal with, with the consequences and see if it's important enough for you to get fired sometimes or, and, and you really believe in it, or if it's not that important to you and then you stop posting and, and nobody forgets it and nobody cares, right? Um, that's a very personal decision that uh, my friend was dealing and it seems like you dealt in the past as well. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And there are so many companies that, um, that I'm seeing now and when I'm hosting the workshops uh, for LinkedIn, because I'm doing now these master classes to the, to the huge companies, to employees of the huge companies, uh, I'm seeing that they are still unsure if their employee, if they should allow their employees to, to post on their LinkedIn with their own voice, uh, if the CEO of the company should be present over there uh, with more than just announcement, those kind of things are still a taboo topic for, uh, for many companies. And uh, it's because um, they're looking at things from some different perspective. Yeah. You know, they, they never went out to, to get customers themselves they they never felt they never went through the process most of the companies as we said are doing inbound outbound call calling those kind of things and it's not 
uh, it doesn't give you the direct contact with the with the customer with the client right. it, it's just you're blasting everybody or just call calling people and i'm not saying it's not working for some company it still works i think the combination is always the best for a majority yeah. of the companies uh, but uh, you need to go through the process no matter where are you in the company to learn some things yeah um i think like two thoughts on that i think once a lot of ceos are scared of their employees posting content and creating content uh, because one they're not marketing driven right they're either technically driven and they don't get the marketing part um very few are both um and two which i think is really funny they're scared of the negative repercussions of creating content but they're not scared of the the salespeople reaching out to 99% of the market with a spam called email, right? Like that gives a bad impression. Yeah, you crushed it there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like that's bad. Your sales people like sending an email that has sent to a thousand people and hasn't changed one word because it's automated, that gives a bad impression of your brand and that gives a negative experience. Your employee talking about the mental health of being a designer and how he's struggling with it and how he's trying to find things to, to overcome that, that's a positive experience, right? So at, at the end of the day, uh, we're scared of stuff. We're scared of, the, we're scared of like, what if they grow a personal brand and they leave? What if they don't and they stay, right? Like, uh, I, I think as CEOs, I want myself, one of my employees is here on the call today. Like, I would love for him to create content, right? Like, and, and he does. And he creates content for himself and for clients. So um, that's something that I need as a CEO myself. I believe in content so much. And if he does it, I have to support it no matter what. Uh, because I'd rather him do that than send spam called LinkedIn messages to a million people. Um, but yeah, th that's my thought on utilizing personal brands of employees and CEOs to like generate the inbound and, and build the brand. Yeah, um, we opened so many, so many topics. Uh, my head would get chopped. <laughs> yeah, well, we we have weeks to cover them all. So uh, I think yeah, this was uh, a good first episode, right? Yeah. If uh, guys, do you have any more questions? Uh, yes, I'm Eddie here. I have one last question. Um, I heard that uh, LinkedIn is gonna have a stories like instagram and snapchat uh what are your thoughts about that you think that makes the platform better or worse i love it i think i've been waiting for it because uh the, the problem with linkedin is that you can only post so many times a day right like um linkedin post eat their they're like cannibals they eat the audience of the previous post um so i've found that there's other posts that are not worth a LinkedIn post, but I would love to share. And I would love to grow my brand through images as well uh, on LinkedIn. And I think stories provide that one-on-one -on -one communication daily that you can put 8, 10, 20 pieces of content every day. And, and that LinkedIn posts don't allow you to do it. I think stories are the best Instagram feature. And I think when you pass it to business, it's going to be a game changer. And... Any CEO that wants to grow their personal brand on LinkedIn should be putting out stories when they come up. What do you think, Nemanja? Oh, I'm totally opposite. Really? We finally disagree. Good. It's good uh, yeah, uh, we agree that stories are the best thing on Instagram and they are great in communicating one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with everybody who, is, who are watching the, the stories. But on LinkedIn, uh, I didn't hear that stories are coming. I mean, those stories were there for stories about stories coming to LinkedIn were there for a month, for months, but I've nothing. I've heard more rumors of that coming in. I, I don't know if it's just yeah. a trend, but I, I've also heard it. Really. Yeah, and uh, I have the same opinion about it as I had about uh, LinkedIn Live, if it was an option for everybody to use it. Because uh, there are so many people who uh, think that they know a thing or two about business. 
they are just entrepreneurs, like they have a local shop, whatever, and they think that they know so many things. Therefore, they would like to share it. But on Facebook, they cannot do it because uh, family, friends, and everybody would make fun of them most of the time. I mean, that's how it happens on Facebook. But if they share it on LinkedIn, they don't have family and friends over there. It's a business platform, so they will feel more free to share all kinds of things. And then when they do, not that many people have something specific to say and can talk from experience. So uh, majority of the content will be uh, polluted and it will be spammy. So this is how I see it and how I see that, uh, that, it, will, uh, that it will happen. I mean, luckily, we didn't get LinkedIn Live option for everybody. Uh, and that's great. I like that how they did uh, that part. Not even I can, can get the option. I don't know about you. Uh, no, I can't either. Yeah, but, uh, but anyway, uh, that's, that's my, my point of view. I think that right now, uh, all kind of posts are working great. Diversity is the, the biggest thing that you can do about yourself um, on LinkedIn. I mean, text posts are getting more views than, than videos. But if you don't have videos, people won't get to know you. Right. They, they won't see and feel you. And also the thing that you are doing right now with, with audio, visualizing audio, that's also a thing how you can get through the voice tell the message in a specific way and, and reach uh, more people on a personal level too. Right. I think LinkedIn stories, obviously they're easier to produce than LinkedIn reading content, right? Um, which allows for different type of content. And like I would not share on LinkedIn, like my preparation for the meeting on a quick video that it's 30 seconds, um, but I would share it on a LinkedIn story. Right. So I think it allows a different context and provides a more behind the scenes look at what lives of the entrepreneurs really are. Um, so I think it brings the best out of Instagram to LinkedIn. And I think it's going to help LinkedIn a lot. Like I've been waiting for that, but we were talking with Joel, like whenever they come up, if we're allowed to put stories, like we need to invest in that because especially at the beginning, right? Because when companies introduce a new feature, they always promote it at first. So they give you more rich. Um, so we, we need to be the first people putting out stories on LinkedIn when they come up. And regarding of like people coming in and putting out content that's not good, I think that happens everywhere. The best content is going to like still uh, come to the top, right? Uh, the market is the one that decides whether your content is good or not. Uh, so stories are going to be, are going to be what, another example of that, of just letting the good stuff come up. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to allow, like, for example, for sending messages, right? Like stories allow people on Instagram to like swipe up and then DM one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that promotes one-on-one -on -one conversations on LinkedIn. That's going to be huge, right? Like what if the CEO of the company puts out a story before a meeting and then you can just swipe up and say, I was there last week. Then you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, so I think they're going to be an, an amazing future personally. Um, let's see. I think it's going to be different than, uh, than Instagram. So let's wait, let's wait, let's wait and see. And I agree with what you said about, um, about using new feature when the platform presents them. Yeah. That's, that's a no brainer. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to look on, on like desktop, right? Cause Instagram is only for phone, but uh, a lot of people use LinkedIn on, on, on the web, on desktop. That's, so, to that's totally wrong. I don't know if you, if you have noticed, but uh, mobile app for LinkedIn has uh, I know many it's more options and uh, more things that you can use for the advanced search, those kind of things that you don't have on a desktop version of the, of the platform. Right. I don't know. I, I guess we'll see, but I do think they introduce new opportunities and it's worth testing at least. Um, I think that's all that we have. If you guys have any questions, 
um, feel free to reach out or, or right now, but. Uh, Anytime, I mean, during the week, we, if you have some short things we can just overlook and give you advice, that's cool. If there are some that require longer answers, I mean, we will answer next week during the B2B weekly. Um, and yeah, I put out my my links to social media platforms on the Zoom group chat. If you guys want to connect with me or with Nemanja, uh, please feel free. And I really appreciate all your time. I know it's an hour and six minutes that we've gone for. Um, at, at 6, 7 p.m. in Europe, that's it's time to sunbathe in the balcony. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys. We'll see each other next Wednesday, 6 p.m., Central European time, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Europe. Looking forward to it. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. All right, guys. Thank you.